Well, welcome everyone to another episode of the Fight Talk Podcast. I'm Steven Jensen. I'm here once again with Jamie Kilstein, who is a comedian and who's doing pro wrestling training and who is a guy that I just consider my friend at this point. So this yeah. is Yeah. Uh, this is just, We're totally uh, friends now. Yes. And we have been pretty much since uh since day one, which has been awesome. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't podcast with people. I told this to um uh Aubrey, it was Aubrey Edwards. I was trying to figure out if it was a wrestling person, but I, I kind of, and I don't know if I, I think you're the same way. Like, I don't need to have guests on my podcast, as I'm sure, like you could just fucking ramble about wrestling by yourself pretty easily. Um, but I only have, and this is what's so cool about podcasts. I only have people on or do people's podcasts if I'm like, we're gonna be friends, you know. And with, especially with me being removed from wrestling for so long. I may have said this last time we podcasted, but there is something so fucking special about wrestlers and about wrestling fans. And uh, there's this actually I I was literally just texting with I met her down uh, when I was training with Thunder Rosa, which I know you want to talk about. But there's um, there's this girl named Alex Garcia. I I was fucking up. It's not Garcia. It's Garcia. Um, and she did some AEW work and she, she wrestles down in Texas and we were just texting or DMing about this where even if I never wrestle being around people like that, like people who are, they're healthy and in shape, which is, which I need, uh, or else I fucking derail if I'm just around comics, (laughs) but they're like creative and fucking weird and dorky. And they just want to make shit that I was like, man, like I'm going to move to Texas to train. But even if I never wrestle, I will make better sketches. I will make better comedy. I will be a more confident person as weird as it sounds, just hanging out with fucking wrestlers. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I totally get that. I, I, I believe me. I, I know it's, it's one of those things, man. Like, and I mean, you were on here last just, it was just a few weeks ago. It feels like longer, but it was only probably like maybe a month or so. Like maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, um, this fucking election feels like it's been going on. <laughs> for fu- It feels like we're in some kind of weird purgatory that it's like, yeah, no, sorry. I don't remember when I did the really fun wrestling podcast because I've been avoiding like the toxicity of Twitter and like whatever fucking hellscape is happening in Washington right now. It's funny because there was I, I had some audio issues on my end the last time we recorded, so I was able to, I was only able to upload the first like half hour or whatever of our conversation. Yeah, and, and I've been telling people I've been uh, comparing it to the Tenacious D song tribute, where I'm like, <laughs> it's like it was the greatest podcast in the world. No one knows what it sounds like. No one will Jake. ever hear it. <laughs> but, but yeah, so uh, you're you're totally right. But it was also one of those things where I've been very. Uh, spiritual and by spiritual I mean I've done a lot of mushrooms over quarantine and I've really just fallen into this hey man we are where we are it is what it's supposed to be and like it was such a cool conversation and I also feel like that solidified the friendship because if you do a podcast with someone and you're like man the fucking audio didn't work and they're like oh that fucking conversation we had where we connected and I talked about my dreams and passions it was only worth it if it was going to get me fucking Twitter followers, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, that would be such a load of shit. But also the self-hating part of me is like, oh, that just means he has to have me back on the podcast because he feels bad. So that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> so well, that works. 
Well, we're we're gonna we're hopefully gonna be doing more stuff more consistently too, because um, yeah, I'll talk to you a little bit more about that uh, after the after the uh, cool. recording or whatever. But there's a yeah, expect to hear me and Jamie hopefully a little more often. And I don't know if you had a chance. Did you have a chance to listen to that um, clip that I sent you from O and A about Patrice and the I Rock? Did. And all that? I did. Um, I did. What did he think about that? Because I, I, it was, it's so funny. Because on the last show that me and Jamie did, and I don't know how much of this made the actual audio that I uploaded, but Jamie Kelstein here knew Patrice O'Neill, who was one of my favorite comedians of all time. Um, Obi yeah, Anthony, I too. yeah, and and just like a universally just like loved guy. Um, he he was a, a WWE writer for like two days, and me and Jamie talked about him a little bit last time. Uh, but since I was able to find a little bit of audio and I thought it was crazy because when I brought that up, I remember you being like, wait, Patrice wrote for the WWE. And I was like, dude, I'm glad I was able to tell you about that because like now you it can was, go back and try to. It was so cool because like Patrice was very intimidating. Um, you know, there are incredibly famous comics, you know, Norton and guys like that who will just talk about when you took a verbal lashing from Patrice, it. It's like nothing else. I mean, and he's a big imposing dude where he would just like sit on the stoop at the Boston in New York. And I mean, people walking by just fucking just saying shit. And like, I mean, it was. It was like, uh, I mean, high school where even Norton used to do stuff where all those guys would just they would literally grown men some of the best living comics of all time people would walk by and they would do stuff like sir you dropped something and then just just look around and it was the funniest it was so <laughs> it was the funniest fucking thing and so with patrice like for some reason and maybe it was just because he didn't care enough about me but i always sort of like i never took a lashing like i opened for him twice and both times he just like, I remember him wearing like a big hat. It was in Montreal and in Jersey. And he would just kind of nod and like say good job, but like nothing else. And I didn't ask for anything. I would just be like very quiet. And then I remember one time me and my ex, uh, same as Montreal, we went up to his hotel room and it was like him and Craig Robinson and a bunch of people all smoking weed. And we were the only white people. And I just remember Patrice being like, the white people showed up. And like, <laughs> I remember that. And then somehow, and I don't remember how this fucking happened. He found out I was a wrestling fan and wanted me, because I've been thinking about this since we talked. Because what a fucking flashback to have. Where I, when I was in middle school, my computer science teacher, this like very housewifey mid 40s i mean looked like just like curly permed hair found out i was a wrestling fan and she had all of these old vhs i'm not talking like you know oh she had like the best of marty Jannetty. like this is how i found out about easy fucking w like she had like <laughs> hardcore ecw like vhs tape like dude now that i'm like an adult you know, back then you see a teacher like that and they're now she, she's probably into some like BDSM shit. Like who fucking knows <laughs> right, the right. backstory of this very quiet computer teacher. And so I just had all of these VHS 
uh, tapes, like you would trade like like Grateful Dead bootlegs, and uh, you know, watch them for years and years and years. And Patrice found out I had this like stash. And dude, I don't remember the conversation. I don't remember how it happened. I don't think I had his phone number. It must have happened in person, but I just agreed to just bring them all to him. Um, and I took a fucking train into Hoboken. I'd never been, or Jersey City, and I'd never been there. Um, and he lived with that comic, Will Sylvans, who's still around. And I just sat on the couch and I was so nervous and Patrice just came down. He was in the shower, just no shirt and a fucking towel. And I was too nervous to even be like, can we hang out? Can we whatever? I just like gave the shirtless Patrice O'Neill a satchel of old VHS tapes <laughs> with like computer teacher jizz probably on it. And I was just like, good day, sir. And I just fucking left. And then, yeah, you know, I did. That was my last memory of of him. But God, I mean, anybody I probably said this on the last show where you did anyone who hasn't seen Elephant in the Room, I think it's one of the best stand up specials of all time. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hel- classic. Just hilarious. Th- that guy could have made anything funny. Like it just it just what his presence was funny. Like he's one of those guys that like you said he's intimidating when you see him and then he opens his mouth and then he said because. What I thought he was so good, and I'm by no means uh, an expert. Like I don't, I don't do stand up comedy. I just, you know, I'm a fan of it. But yeah. like, I, I, he was the kind of guy where like, he would get up there and then he'd say something like so uncomfortably offensive that it would just yes. have to, it would just have to be like you, you had either you had to laugh at it or like, I get people being offended by stuff that he said, but but it's also one of those things where like you don't have to watch it, you don't have to be in the room, like yeah, like if it, if if you enjoyed it, you really enjoyed it, you know. Dude, I'm gonna make a really dorky analogy, or it's gonna be super cool. Um, so I was thinking as you were saying that that Patrice, he was really funny in the silent, like his thinking face, like <laughs> right before the kind of like cock cock the gun moment where you just know he's gonna he would just give this like disgusted look was funnier than most people's punchlines and that made me think of a Miles Davis quote where he talked about that so much music it's in the silence it's in the the beats between the notes and I feel like Patrice encapsulated that where it was like very jazzy very confident you know I developed my style as kind of a rantier comic. Partly what I tell people when I'm trying to be confident, partly because of my musical influence. So it's very rhythmic. Uh, You can even catch me kind of like tapping my foot when I'm on Conan. And, uh, you know, I'm a drummer, blah, blah, blah. And like, I'd love to be like, yeah, man, I'm like the beat poet and jazz and blah, blah. But another part of it is just fear of silence where I'm like, oh, if I don't stop talking, I won't notice that the audience is furious with me. And it became kind of a defense mechanism a little bit. And so with Patrice, when you see people like that, Chappelle does this too, who can captivate an audience with silence too. You know, it's, I mean, look at these promos we've been seeing recently, right? With like Kingston and Moxley, um, 
who else does? Randy Orton does it really fucking well. Orton does it. Orton's been doing it really fucking well with this angle with the fiend where he's a heel Orton still, but he has to be kind of scared. And so there's this like really calculated, brilliant pauses and silence and like looking around, but without being over the top cartoonish. And if you compare that to, I don't want to shit on a wrestler. So let's shit on UFC fighters, which is, (laughs) You know, you remember the phase after I know I'm all over the place, but after Conor McGregor uh, got famous where there was a phase where like non shit talker fighters tried to shit talk and suddenly like Max Holloway, who's one of my favorite fighters, like had like a poem like like it was it was so uncomfortable. And when guys bomb a joke, though, they they will they won't wait for a pause. So they'll be like, you know, I'm going to wipe you up like your mama's whatever. Uh, yeah. So, okay. So the fight is, and, and they just kind of keep going and that's panic. But to have, I mean, Rhodes does this too, right? Dustin does this. Cody does this to fucking hit a line and then let it sit there. It's just, I don't think people understand the balls it takes. Yeah, I know how that feels. Even podcasting, like if I get a little bit nervous, I'll kind of say um in between stuff just because you don't want that pause at all. Because like you I don't do know what you just. Yeah, yeah, I do that all the time. I I, I mean I do that on my stand up album, like even on the albums, I'll do it. Yeah, if I can tell like the guy the guy I'm interview like isn't really vibing with the question, I pretty much just will keep. Even if my question was supposed to end five seconds ago, if like they're not into it, I keep talking until I see their face kind of relax and then I can go. Yeah. So like, what do you think about like, I don't know any part of that or whatever. It's stupid. Bye. <laughs> so what did you, uh, what did you think about that audio I sent you? Cause basically what I sent Jamie is like, uh, it was an open Anthony clip and it was basically like, I mean, it was years ago and a lot has changed since then, but like he's dead. Well, yes, he's yeah, Patrice <laughs> is dead. Um, uh, they were talking about basically, Patrice worked there for like two days, according to him. And and in that time, he basically spent like a lot of that time around Vince. And and once again, times were different. Just gotta throw that out there. But basically, basically, he's the story that he was telling was about how he doesn't name the wrestler, but who he's talking about is a guy named Tiger Ali Singh, who is the manager for D'Lo Brown and Chaz when they were teaming as Lowdown. And they had kind of like a Middle Eastern gimmick. So they were wearing the, uh, uh, what do you call them? Turbans? Turbans, yes. They were wearing turbans. And Tiger Ali Singh, that like, he actually like, you know, that's like his, his, that's his real life. Like it's one of those things where like, he's not trying to be like, characterized or, 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 or degraded, if you will. Yeah. Like the old days when like all you needed to be a heel was to be from another country. Right. Exactly. And, and so apparently he went to Vince and this happened like in front of Patrice or whatever. Apparently like he went to Vince and was like, you know, Vince, like, this is really, um, this isn't like, this isn't cool. Like you, like, I, I don't think I should be wearing the turban. And like, this is really, I don't, I don't really like how this is going. And he's like, you're going to put on the fucking turban and, 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 and D'Lo Brown's going to wear the fucking turban also. <laughs> And Patrice is like, okay, well, that's just how it is here. Like, that's it, how, he's like, gotta respect it. Oh, it's so <laughs> insane. I mean, it's crazy because, like, I definitely, 
when it comes to, uh, you know, I've been misquoted so many times when it comes to, like, how I feel about, like, PC comedy or punching up or punching down or whatever. Um, and I think some of the greatest jokes of all time are the most offensive, right? Um, I mean, even if you look at, like, Hicks and Carlin, you know, they were doing it for, like, social commentary. But Norton and Burr and uh, uh, Patrice, and I mean, just some of the most vile things. And it's so wonderful and so cathartic and blah, blah, blah. Um, however, when it comes to wrestling and when it comes to jokes, there's a difference between... <sighs> being offensive and trying to push the boundaries and being offensive and hacky. And so when I th see like uh, a joke about like, you know, yeah, we're making someone a bad guy because it's just like some fucking racial stereotype or, you know, an Apu joke or quickie, whatever. Um, I'm not like offended in a like PC sort of, we have to march way it, to me. It's just hacky material you know like if you're gonna make someone like yeah you're you're the fucking bad guy so go speak and like uh like blah, 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 like accent. <laughs> it's like okay we can probably just be better than that artistically uh and then if you want to obviously go down the path of i mean how cool is it seeing i mean we really saw it with like black panther and i didn't realize this like look i'm a big old liberal but until I saw like black children and black parents responding to Black Panther or like even with like Kofi's run, yeah. like you, you just fucking forget as a bunch of white dudes what it means to, you know, because everyone looked like us. Right. Like right. when we were growing up and it was like, oh, we can do that. And yeah, I never really thought about what it would be like for a parent to explain to a kid, like, why can't I be a superhero? Why can't I be a wrestler or why can't whatever? And then, oh my God, you finally see yourself being represented and it's in like the most like cartoonish fucking, I really, uh, uh, Mustafa Ali, I really, his Twitter game calling out racists is so good. And I wish he could, I mean, he probably just isn't allowed to, or I don't know if he has the freedom to, but I wish he could carry that over to his character. If fucking all of Retribu Retribution's Twitter, I feel like for on Raw, the Retribution segments should just be them backstage tweeting. Because they're <laughs> yeah. all so good on fucking Twitter, and then it's such trash um on television and i just wish they could be them fucking self but anyway uh so yeah uh i think stereotype shit's fucking mm -hmm. hacky i think there are clever ways to do all sorts of everything uh it does not surprise me that vince mcmahon's like go put on a turban <laughs> like that's the fucking funniest thing ever uh of course that what he like i feel like that should be on vince mcmahon's business if you told me vince mcmahon's business card just read vince mcmahon wwe go put on the goddamn turban i'd be like yeah of course, that's what his business card says. And I'm going to go put on a fucking turban because that's what Mr. McMahon wants me to do. And then, oh, poor D'Lo. Like, <laughs> when that's even worse when it's like, hey, this isn't even your race we're being racist about, but like close enough. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Because I love how he threw that in there. It's just like, D'Lo's like not even like in the room and in the conversation. It's like, yeah, you're going to put on the fucking turban and make sure you tell fucking D'Lo he's putting on the turban. <laughs> 
That, oh, easily the funniest line of the whole goddamn thing. By far. By far. And you, and you know what? If you push me in the fire, we're going to get fucking Mabel in a turban. We're going to get fucking. You're all going to be wearing fucking turbans. So it's so funny. It's so true. Um, insane. In fucking insane. Um, but yeah, dude, I'm like, I'm, I'm super excited to do more about this too. Cause like you could tell, even when you were asking me questions about comedy, the reason I was all over the place, I think I probably feel like a lot of your listeners where we, we, we don't get to talk about wrestling that much. And so it's so funny because my Twitter, I don't have the biggest Twitter, but it's like 33,000, something like that. And I would say. 50 of them are wrestling fans and like 30 of them are famous wrestlers. So they're not going to be responding to all my stuff. And so every time raw or fucking AEW comes on, I'm just tweeting and it's like you and big swole and Jesse will give it a like, <laughs> and like that's it. And, 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 and I know I that keep, feeling too sometimes. Oh, oh my God. And I keep being like, dude, why? J- why are you doing this? Just like, maybe just go enjoy wrestling. Don't get like bummed out. Cause you also know what it's like. Like I'm a 38 year old. I make a living with my art. I should be happy, but you throw out a take and it gets like zero. And you're just like, am I a fucking idiot? What am I doing? Um, so getting to talk about it is so exciting. And I don't even realize some of my, cause you know, I live alone, so I don't really realize a lot of my takes until I start talking about it. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that Orton fiend thing. And I got all like worked up in my head. Um, so anyway, that's <laughs> Wait, your answer. <laughs> do, do you know the comedian Tony Hinchcliffe personally at all? Or I don't know him personally. <clears throat> I met him, uh, once we were on a roast thing together and he was very nice and he fucking ripped me to shreds. <laughs> uh, and I enjoy him very much. Uh, we talked in the parking lot of the comedy store once and, uh, he's one of those guys. It's such a dorky thing to say, but I mean, we've all felt this way with wrestlers. I feel this way with Sami Zayn where it's like, we would be friends if given the opportunity. Like when I hear Tony talk about wrestling, I'm just like, Oh, it's a shame. We didn't hang out in LA and fucking Sami Zayn. He doesn't follow me but he liked or retweeted one of my tweets forever ago. And I responded so thirstily that I think I ruined any chance. I immediately texted all of my wrestler friends where I was like, did you retweet this? Cause you're friends with Sami Zayn did. And, and I just had to like, keep it cool. But like, I think he's my favorite thing going to the WWE right now, but especially him texting about or tweeting about politics and shit. I'm just like, ugh. You're my, you're my people, but no. So I, I don't know Tony that well, but I'm like familiar with. Gotcha. I, I figured I'd bring him up because I, I, you just kind of answered my question though. He's a big wrestling fan, does like wrestling podcasting and stuff yeah. like that. And you guys would totally like, I, I had him on my show. It's been probably two or three years or it was a long time ago, but I had him on during the Jinder Mahal title reign. And, okay. um, and watching wrestling during then. I oh, okay. Really- it sounds like the right time. My break was after Attitude Era. I took a whole break during Patrice alluded to. Oh, no. Opie alluded to that on the clip you gave me. Well, I guess they tried to do a PC thing after the Attitude Era. But like besides watching Punk and Cena, and I rewatched that recently, actually, all of the Cena, Batista, 
really even Randy Orton stuff, that whole uh, generation I missed. Gotcha. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would definitely like if if you ever uh, you know am around him, if you're around him again, or if you're doing any more podcasts, he's definitely a guy that I think you would y'all remind me so much of each other in so many oh, no ways. Like, well, fucking sneak me his email and. I'll, 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 I'll and no one on the show say that I got it from you. I mean, that's how I got on. Uh, Ron Funches and I became friends that way. Because same deal. I'm like, ah, we'd be friends. And then I low-key got his email from someone. Didn't hear anything back. And I was like, all right. And then he hit me up. He heard me on Sam Roberts' show. And he was like, I thought you were a very different person than you are. And I was like, I know, right? And now we're friends. And so I did his podcast. He did my podcast. Um, and yeah, I feel the same way about fucking, about Tony. You know what I love about him the most? Mm. And this is a professional wrestler thing. And this is like my, one of my biggest goals out of professional wrestling is this, which is that fucking confidence. When you watch Tony talk about comedy and talk about not giving a fuck, I still second guess things before I tweet. I still think I'm going to bomb even before I fucking kill. I still, my posture is very, even though I'm a fighter, I still like, you can see me kind of shrink up. Not in physical confrontations because I'm used to fighting, but like if I'm in a convert, like, I don't know if I'm around famous people and I feel like I don't fit in. Like I start to get very like, and like I have anxiety, depression, blah, blah, blah. And I forget who it was. I, it, it may have been Aubrey again. It was Aubrey. It was on my podcast. And she was talking about part of what has helped her. You know, she's gotten super healthy. She stopped drinking. She's like fucking vegan now. She's lifting weight. She has fucking abs. And she's like, so much of that is from being around wrestlers. And I thought she meant just in the sense that, you know, and she talked about this too. A lot of them don't drink and they're obviously in the gym working out. But she's like, every promo you're cutting, you're telling the world you're the best. And... That starts to, I mean, that really ties in with all of the positive psychology you see, all of the, you know, sports psychology where it's like, yeah, if you believe you're going to do a thing, there is a way greater chance you're going to be able to do the thing. And as a wrestler, because the promos are, you know, just as important as the matches, maybe, um, ish. Yeah, that, yeah I, I know what you mean. Sometimes it can be more important. Like, yeah, like that, yeah, sure. And and you're always putting yourself over. And so that has to, I mean, obviously wrestlers are still going to have depression and still have whatever, but I mean, you watch anyone who walks out into the ring and it's like, there is a, there is confidence there and there is some self-belief there. And I think that that's fucking, that's really one of my main goals. Like I want to, I want that. And I, I've had it. Uh, there have been certain shows I've had it. There have been certain moments in my life I've had it. There have been certain girlfriends I've gotten who have seemed very out of my league because I had it. Um, but it has to be authentic, you know. And But that's something so cool about wrestling, where even the stuff I'm good at, right, like kickboxing and jiu-jitsu, it's very small. So when you're boxing properly, 
it doesn't look like it looks in the WWE. You have to have your elbows in tight. Your hands are by your face. They're always coming back uh, to where they, they, they throw from. Whereas in wrestling, it's very almost cartoonish and slowed down. And why I oughta? And you're winding back. And it feels very counterintuitive to me as a fighter. But also, just holding yourself in those postures uh, does make you feel more confident. I mean, there was a whole TED talk on this with some woman who talked about as dumb as this fucking sounds, you guys, the wonder woman pose. And there was a scientific studies shown that if you hold yourself in that kind of superhero pose, hands on hips, shoulders back, back straight, you are far more likely to fucking rock whatever you're about to do because you're training your body to be confident. And a lot of people have written about flow state when it comes to psychedelics, when it comes to uh, how the Navy SEALs train, all this stuff. They, they, ta- they hypothesize that, or no, I mean, it's proven now that we always thought the mind controlled the body, but a lot of times the body can control the mind. Um, so, and it's true where if you're holding yourself hunched over and you're always looking at your phone, uh, you're essentially inducing fucking a depressive state as opposed to if you're walking with your head up and your shoulders back and you're walking like a fucking fighter, you know, there's a reason I don't get fucked with a lot, even though I'm five, seven and a tiny Jew. Uh, it's because I don't hold myself like someone who is going to be a victim. I don't posture. To me, when I see like dudes posturing, I'm like, oh, you're a pussy. Um, but <laughs> there's just a calmness, you know, right. and that yes. happens. I'm like, you know, I've fought for 15 years. Um, and yeah, there's definitely something to that when it comes to like mental health and shit like that. Um, I assumed that you were Jewish, but didn't know for sure. Kilstein wasn't it wasn't positive yeah. about that. Um, yep. I bet you didn't know this. Member of the tribe right here. Yeah, baby. Yep. Yeah, let's fucking do it. I feel like I finally didn't mix up Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah this year because I was <laughs> <tough. laughs> super Jewish. I was just raised enough like, Oh, we're not going to school today. And I have to call grandma like, and that was it. And so this year I asked my dad, no, I didn't ask my dad. I think I got a speech. Which one's the like day of forgiveness. Oh, dude, I'm so bad when it comes oh, to that. You're bad at you. I'm, I'm, I'm just like you. <laughs> oh, damn it. I felt like I had it finally. It was only because two of my brothers currently are not speaking to me because I went and did shows uh, in July when it was still COVID-y. And, uh, and so, and then they got mad at me and then I talked about it on the podcast. Uh, and then uh, that was like the, and it was funny because the person co-hosting goes, uh, are you afraid your brothers are going to listen to the podcast? And I go, no, that's part of the fucking problem. They don't support me. And then that was the one podcast they listened to, and they completely stopped talking to me. And so my dad sent a group email that was, like, not as subtle as he thought it would be, where he's like, as the tradition, this is, like, the time of forgiveness. And, like, clearly just being like, guys, please start talking to Jamie again. He's very impressed. And it did not work, but... I at least kind of learned what the holiday was supposed to uh, entail. <laughs> I think it's Yom Kippur. I think, I think is the one true. you're talking about. I think um, it is. It's wild because so I, I was bar mitzvah when I was 13. And then um, I had some stuff happen when I was in my teenage years that kind of pulled me kind of away from religion and stuff. And uh, without getting into all that. But but the community that I was a part of is a great community of people. And 
I was reminded of that recently because, uh, believe it or not, so Borat 2 recently came out, and like that's yeah. been a big thing. My synagogue was the one that he went to in Atlanta. Like, he walked oh. in there. Yeah, and he's wearing, like, this big nose. I don't know if you saw it. He's got, like, this, oh like, my puff, God. This, like well, I'm, fr- and- I'm friends with the director of the first one, who's a big old Jew, Larry Charles. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, that's amazing. He walks in, and I'm like, this, because I haven't been in there in, like, 20 years. And he right. walks in there, and I'm like, this all looks so familiar to me. I was like, why? No. I was like, I'm like, I'm like every synagogue probably looks pretty similar though. And then I realized like they're in Temple Columbus in Atlanta, Georgia, right up the street. And I'm like, no kidding. So, so um, for one, I wanted to throw it out there that like these elderly women he speaks to were like the kindest, sweet, like it made the community look great in my opinion, because sure. it was like, they like took him in and were like, no, see like our noses, they're not, they're oh, not that's right. you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like so nice to him. So I, uh, I just put out a Facebook message like, man, it's wild that uh, Borat was in Temple Kalemith and I hadn't been there in like 20 years. Just a lot of like flashbacks. Put and on this- the yarmulke, Stefan. I put, on the, put, put on a yarmulke too, D'Lo Brown. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I think uh, <laughs> I basically uh, um, I, I put out a message and, and uh, the daughter of the the um rabbi hit me up because i hadn't talked to her in forever either just so funny they're all like he was in our synagogue we didn't sign any releases on that blah 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 blah. but they just like went ahead and did it and uh yeah it's pretty funny but yeah just small world stuff that's fucking wild dude that's so insane yeah i uh where i'm at right now with everything religion the kind of art i'm gonna do if i'm gonna wrestle is i'm just following where good people are you know i've like uh, so tribalized myself in the past and have to had to label myself, had to, all this stuff. And now, I mean, even that comedy sketch I made with Thunder Rosa, I'm like, I just want to be around her to make comedy. Like, even if it's not wrestling, you know, like I'm just going to follow where are the good people. And if they're good people in a synagogue, I'll go to the fucking synagogue. If they're good people uh, in, in this wrestling, if there are shitty people in a wrestling community, but I don't need to be a part of that, you know? And I, every time I had a bad experience in stand up, I'd go fuck stand up. And then I'd have a good experience in stand up. I'd be like, oh, yeah, fucking stand up's cool. And now I'm like, if there's a shitty scene, I don't need to do it. If I feel like I have something to say and there are good people, I'll fucking do it. You know, like I would love to make uh, like the last three comics I've had on my podcast were, yeah, like Ron, uh, Pete Holmes and then Joe Coy I'm going to put up soon. And those are just three wonderful humans that whether I'm doing comedy or not, I would want to be around them. And then same with the wrestlers. It was like DDP, Aubrey, and uh, uh, and then making those sketches with Thunder Rosa. And like Janela wants to do it. Uh, oh, you know who also I talked about? Uh, Matt Jackson and I were DMing. I think I'm going to get them on the podcast. Ooh, because, nice. Well, because the pitch I made was I don't have a wrestling show, but I feel like their book is going to be very punk rock. Like, Hey, here's to how to subvert the establishment. And I'm like, cause I have to find ways to sneak wrestlers on my podcast. Cause it's like a self-help comedy podcast. So I can't just be like, you know, who you got for a survivor series. Be like, Boo, what the fuck is this? Um, Especially oh, if you can, ask them about that. <laughs> can I gripe with you about survivor series? Oh no. 
Yeah. I'm going to gripe with you about the WWE, and you can tell me where I'm right and where I'm wrong. Sure. Because the way I watch wrestling is I want to like it always. I don't want to be the people who every day just shit all over it. I empathize with them because it's something they love turning into trash. But I'm also like, guys, you can go watch something else. Like, it's like the comedians who their whole bit is like, yeah, my bitch wife. And I'm like, get a divorce. Like, Jesus Christ. It's not the kids. Are, it's not worth it, dude. And so I always want to root for it. Even with retribution. I'm like, lo- like this. St- I'm, I'm looking for ways. I'm sure. like that. I want to love it. Right. I love their Twitter. I loved when it looked like that, uh, the, the, the raw, they ended with, um, McIntyre and fucking Lee teaming up and the hurt business kind of during doing like a facey heel thing. You remember they all kind of teamed up to fight retribution. That was dope. And then suddenly like the next week since they got drafted, it all went to hell and nothing made sense. And it was insane. Um, And mainly what was insane, not just the fucking draft, but then having them just lose terribly every match. It's like, if they're not going to be the big scary guys like the fiend and they're going to lose to Bobby Lashley's fucking full Nelson, then have them take their masks off and just be funny and like, just be themselves and just harass people and whatever. Um, but they kind of lost the whole like spooky retribution angle anyway. Um, but I'm like, I want it to be good. So fucking bad. Um, with that said, there are three things from the Attitude Era and Pre-Attitude Era, which Sam Roberts informed me, by the way, I think off-air, that my favorite era of wrestling is notoriously panned as the worst era of all time. What uh, is it, like, like the mid-'95s? Like yeah. Yeah, yes. okay. Yeah. Like, I yeah. literally looked up the card for 95 Survivor Series last <laughs> night because it was my favorite because sure. I thought wrestling was real. Yeah. I was obsessed with Shawn Michaels, and... I'm still, and I think it was because of that era, such a fan of friends break up, come back to save each other. And one, I just, I love that kind of storytelling. It's very sappy. It's very romantic. But two, it's because the first angle I was so emotionally involved in was Shawn Michaels, Nash, Psycho Sid. Yeah. And when... And again, I have no idea. I'm sure this was all critically panned. But when Diesel came to save Shawn Michaels from Sid, that was it. That was when I was hooked. That was just, oh, my God, heroes and friendship and all these things I didn't have as a kid. And so those Survivor Series were so cool to me because it was like, faces teaming up with heels and weird wild cards. And then like, who the fuck was Ahmed Johnson? Like, I didn't know, I didn't know what dirt sheets were. So I didn't, I didn't know if Ahmed was on the Indies before. It's just, Oh my God, this dude comes out and he fucking picks up Yokozuna. And now he's going to be on fucking Shawn Michaels team. And it was just like, that was it. So the things that, so that's actually, that leads into one of my problems is I loved Survivor Series being just a wild card clusterfuck. Yeah. And I hate, and I've only watched two recently, the champion versus champion 
because I feel like it just completely slams on the brakes of these storylines. And to me, wrestling is at its best with good fucking storytelling. Um, I have so many thoughts on storytelling when it comes to AEW and even when it comes to matches like Orange Cassidy, because of his gimmick. I was thinking about this yesterday as well. His whole his matches tell a story. It's not just spot, 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 spot. Um, It's why my least favorite match was actually the Mimosa match, because he started off angry and it was cool. But there was no peaks and valleys. I, I not not as much. Whereas like his match with uh, uh, Pac, his match with uh, uh, fucking Cody, it was storytelling. It was starts off not caring, like dupes you, dupes you, gets fucking hit, gets cut off. Right now he's like a little pissed. Now he's gonna start like now he starts caring. Now he gets cut off. Then when he has his comeback, he goes back to like not caring but still aggressive. And it's it's all fucking storytelling. Um, and that's why the 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 audience goes fucking berserk for his fucking matches. And so you have all these great stories that are being told that seem like they're completely cut off at Survivor Series. I'm mainly thinking of like Sammy, like Sammy's yeah. whole everyone's trying to fuck me like duping the people at SmackDown. Like now you don't get to see them even really interact. You don't. And I'm sure he's going to take a fucking L at survivor series, which is going to kind of be a bummer. And like, they're both heels. So like, how do you get the audience invested? What, like, it, It's just such a fucking mess. Um, and I think last survivor series was cool. Cause was, was that the NXT invasion? Yeah, in NXT, I actually have the card here. It was a uh, because NXT, I remember winning some big matches. Like and the, that made the, it for me because that again, yeah. it, it it was a wild card vibe, and it was storytelling. It was you had these underdogs, you had a fucking invasion, and like the audience was fucking behind it. And like I, I was like, yes, that's what Survivor Series should fucking be. And now I'm looking at this, and it's like, yeah, just a. Uh, Oh, and uh, it was also, was it Becky Lynch, like the SmackDown invasion? To, no, that was before that. Because um, that was also dope when Becky Lynch was leading that SmackDown invasion. Yeah, yeah, right. Last year was, uh, what did they wind up doing for the win? Oh, yeah, last year was Shayna versus Becky versus Bayley, like all three of the champions. That was great. Yeah, great. And the whole, yeah, the whole show was great. Like, Roderick Strong, uh retain or didn't retain the belts were on the line but they had roger strong win the uh the triple threat because he was north american champion there was also aj styles and sammy's or shinsuke nakamura in there yeah. um so much good stuff um but no to your points man like i i totally i'm totally with you like the the survivor series well just i'll go back a little bit farther it's funny that you mentioned like getting into wrestling during what's like a universally panned time and <laughs> yeah, era. yeah, yeah. Because I was the same way, only the other company. So I was watching WCW, and this was in, like, 94-ish, so, like, right okay. around the same time. And what hooked me into wrestling... David Arquette. No. <laughs> I was watching then still, though, too. Um, but he, uh, it was it was Hulk Hogan, and he, his feud was against the Dungeon of Doom, which was led by Kevin Sullivan. And it was... So I didn't know, because I'm, like, eight years old... I didn't know that, um, well, actually, I'm like, 
I'm like six years old during this. And I remember uh, basically the Dungeon of Doom was uh, Sullivan let it, but but everyone who was in the group were all these like WWF rejects who had left the company. And were, but I didn't know that. I just right. knew them as like these these henchmen yeah. that were trying to take down Hulkamania. Right. And, and, <laughs> yeah, and, but yeah. but but what like really really hooked me was that was when the giant, aka now the Big Show, debuted. He debuted as like a guy for that group and beat Hulk Hogan in his first match. And I was like. Wait, some guy could just like come in and beat Hulk Hogan in his first match. Like, who is this guy? This that was ain't... my Ahmed Johnson Yokozuna moment. Yes, exactly. And, and just like the rejects, it's so funny because so when I looked up that Survivor Series card yesterday, I was like, okay, yeah, I remember I was the most into the Shawn Michaels wild card, but also I popped so hard for the undercard where I was like, Savio Vega teamed up with Henry Godwin or dude, one of my favorite angles as a child, I swear to God of all time was Barry Horowitz and Hakushi teaming up against like the body Donna's because Barry Horowitz was a jobber. And the whole angle was like he started to win. And then Hakushi, I think he was like a heel because he was fighting Bret Hart. But then he turned like babyface to help Barry Horowitz. Uh, dude, I don't even fucking. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, if I pitch that to, to Dave Meltzer. By the way, I want to preface or I want to uh, just go back. Not making fun of David Arquette. Love the fucking movie and low key part of what inspired me to be like, I'm going to fucking do this. Um, so cool. Uh, so fucking cool. I didn't watch WCW during them, but, uh, yeah. So the survivor series, that's one of my problems. And then that leads to kind of my biggest issue. And maybe you can tell me there was a reason for it, but the fucking brand split, man, like I don't. And I think we started to see some pushback this year because it did nothing to push the story. So people, it was so funny. My favorite moment was Seth Rollins gets uh, drafted to SmackDown and people are like, oh, finally. And now we can see something <laughs> different than that Mysterio angle. And then they're like, also going to SmackDown, the entire Mysterio family. And everyone was like, no. And Murphy. <laughs> moved the entire storyline. And so I'm like, okay, even if people disagree with me and I sound like a curmudgeon old man, at least I'm on the same page. And so what I miss is, uh, and I kind of had a problem with AEW this week because of this as well, but what I miss is like, if you're splitting up everybody, you're just taking away so many options, right? Like you're taking away all of these run-ins, all of these people who could team up, even temporarily team up, you know? And it doesn't have to be this Fucking, I think that's why we have so many huge, crazy, drawn out storylines where back in days of old, you could have, you know, I'm trying to think of like what happened on Raw this week. Like, or you could have, uh, let's say Keith Lee, uh, and, and, uh, uh Drew McIntyre, you know, fight each other, then team up against, uh, retribution. Then the next week, oh, you're gonna put them in a tag match, and then maybe 
Keith goes off and fights on Friday. Like, it doesn't have to be this, like, they're feuding for the entire fucking year. And then you get to bring back storylines. And you can, like, I just feel like you can do more weaving. Whereas with the brand split, we're kind of just stuck in this, like, I guess Elias is fighting Jeff Hardy again. All right, fucking. And with really top-notch good writing, uh, Mark Duplass, the filmmaker and actor, talks about this. And I've heard Dak Shepard. From, Dak uh, from uh, the league? Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. But him and his brother were like these huge indie filmmakers. They still are. And they like completely young buck style subverted the industry, said fuck you to agents, made shit themselves, got into Sundance. And now they have these HBO deals and make these big movies and blah, blah, blah. And he talks about how a lot of times restriction or restrictions can be a blessing for creativity. Right. So if I. So, for example, when I start writing for indie organizations, I'm pretty much going to be like, hey, give me the people you can't do anything with and I'm going to do something cool with them. And so by putting baby in a corner, I'm kind of forced. My options are limited so I can actually be more creative. However, when your writing is as trashy as the WWE is right now, they need everything they can fucking get. And restriction is not helping them. And so, I don't know, man. Can you defend the brand split to me? Like, was it cool at a time? Has it just run its course? Is it... Could it maybe go away at some point? I I love this point of view and these questions. So, so basically, this is, this is how I look at it. When the WWE initially did the brand split, like, back in, like, 2002 or whatever, when they had just had that whole influx of talent coming from WCW, ECW, like, they had so many... in there, but, but the big difference there, Jamie, was there was a lot of stars. There was a lot yeah. of stars. Because, because you had your top WCW guys, your top ECW guys, so that totally makes sense. And and with that, what, what the idea was, was split the brands, and then it's going to give opportunity for us to create new stars because there's so many stars around. We can afford to put, you know, we can have Hulk Hogan and The Rock and The Undertaker on SmackDown. We could have, uh, you know, the NWO on Raw or however it worked out. You know what right. I mean? Like it's you have you have although, just stars. Although, and I don't want to cut you off, but I, I was just thinking about Jericho because I was catching up on AEW for this yesterday, and like, it seems like what AEW has figured out is one of the best ways to make stars is what they're doing with Jericho and Cody is let our stars put over and help and build this new talent. Like we saw with MJF, like we're seeing with Darby, like we saw with orange Cassidy. Yes. Now the problem is what WWE is doing done kind of historically since, cause I'll, I'll tell you when it worked and, and how it hasn't. Yes. It, 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 initially it worked in the early two thousands because what they did was they had, you know, they had like basically, uh, if I remember correctly, Raw was way more star heavy, but you still had your stars on SmackDown. You still had, like I was just mentioning, you had like Hogan and The Rock and and uh, and that kind of stuff. But what happened during that time frame was that's where you really saw the push of Benoit, Jericho, Eddie Guerrero, um, right. John Cena. Like Great, that, yeah. And and, the, and all those guys worked with those guys and did exactly what you're describing. The problem is since then, and because the brand split, the brand split has come and gone, and and it's back again, obviously. And it's one of these things where like they've done such a poor job 
due to 50-50 booking that yeah. that they've kept everyone at the same level. The only person in the last I mean, the only person since John Cena that I could call a star that was made through pro wrestling, you can throw CM Punk in there because he did get really big for a minute. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, it's, it's Roman. That's that's it. Yeah. Like, and, and and my thing is... I was and kind, of, kind of fucking him, and I don't know this because this is right around when I jump back in. I mean, like, this sounds very shitty of me, but, like, until he got cancer, weren't they kind of blowing it with him, too? And then... Yeah. He really, with, with, with that speech he gave, I mean, I was so hooked right away. Not because I felt bad for him because he has fucking cancer, but I'm like, oh, you as an authentic human being are so authentic and everything. And now we're seeing him bring his authenticity to heal Roman, which is like the greatest thing happening in, in fucking wrestling right now. I totally agree. I think that Roman is is by by and large just in a completely different league than everyone else right now in the WWE. Like I think what he's doing is just fantastic. It's and oh yeah. And I think a big part of the problem with all this too. Now it's funny because like I, I bring this up every now and then. My my a guy another guy I consider a friend Sean Ross Sapp who runs Fightful and I do he's a lot of great. stuff. With I fucking love him. He defends the brand split a lot okay. because because I want to hear this. And it's for this exact reason where it's like the you have more championship belts, which creates more opportunities for people to become champions, which is going to create more more opportunities for people to main event shows where if you had like everyone together, it's hard. It's off. It's a longer climb. It's harder to do that. And, and, I, and I would agree if they were successfully doing that. Yeah. That's the problem. They I was going to say. And I don't want to disagree with Sean because I eventually want to get paid work with five. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm gonna. Um, no, I. I thought, but now again, this is me prefaces my favorite generation of wrestling, the worst, uh, (laughs) jumping back in very late for me, jumping back. Oh, and also like I'm a 38 year old dude, right? I actually see more belts as I don't give a shit about the belts anymore. Same here. When I think about what the fucking like. And what was cool about having, again, th- th- here's an example of restriction creates opportunity. What was cool about having only those two belts, they meant something so different, right? Like, I don't know what the SmackDown version of the Intercontinental Belt represents. But to me, when I was growing up, the Intercontinental Belt was my favorite because those were guys who kind of were more like me. It was Shawn Michaels, Razor. It was, and now like the belts are literally, here's what I would say to Shawn if I was debating him. I'd say one, I love you so much. Please don't get mad at me. Hire me. And then two, I'd say the belts are so interchangeable that they literally interchanged them two Raws ago with the tag team belts. And it was a cute bit. It was really funny, but that shows you how little it means where it's like, oh, what if we could have had them fight for the tag belts? And there was one set of tag belts and there was one fucking woman's champion. And there was one, even with the brand split, I feel like less belts is because, I mean, maybe it's maybe the younger generations like belts, but like to me, it doesn't, you get two good wrestlers and a good fucking storyline. I don't give a fuck if it's for the belt. 
yeah. it doesn't matter if it's for the belt, you know. But yeah, back in the day when it was, you had the fucking heavyweight champion, you had the intercontinental champion, you had the tag champs. I'm like, okay, I know what I'm fucking rooting for. Like that's a big fucking deal to me, you know. And, and, and we're kind of seeing that in AEW right now. Like the belt, the the main event, the promo everyone freaked out about with Moxley. And with Kingston, it's about that belt. It's about this fucking belt is why I don't have children. This fucking belt, not this one in 12 belts is why I don't have children. I'd be like, bro, you're going to get a belt. You should go have kids. Like, eventually, you'll get one of these fucking 18 belts floating around. You know what I mean? But when there's fucking one, when there's two belts, when there's one tag, you know, the Bucks and fucking FDR. We're, we're, people, some people have problems with this angle, but we're never going to fight for these belts again. If that happened to the WWE, you'd go, okay, they're going to lose, and then they're going to go to SmackDown, and then they're going to win those belts because they said they're never going to fight for the Raw belts again. All right. Fucking pff, jerk yeah. off. Who cares? <laughs> you're, no, you're so right about that. Like, uh, everything. Like, I totally agree with all that. Like, the WWE, the belts have been super devalued to the point where I just don't care about them. Um, a big part of that actually stems from the time period I was talking about when I had Henchcliffe on because um, Jinder Mahal, when he was the champion, yeah. I consider him I consider him to be the worst WWE champion there's ever been. And it's not yeah. it's not his fault. It's they literally. Um, little Vince. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. the, well, the thing was, in the honest, this the honest truth. He was a complete jobber. He he was not winning. He wasn't even winning mid-card matches. He he was a perennial just first match getting squashed guy for years and years and years. And once again, that's not his fault. That's how he's being how he's being booked. Sure. But but then when the network, WWE Network opened in India, they just like threw the belt on him and was like, Yeah, he's his main avenger now. And bought Whoa. And it was, and yes. it was like just marketing. It was it was all just a marketing ploy, and then when nice. and then when they went to India and the network numbers didn't really change, they took that belt <laughs> off of him as fast as they could. Like they oh were my like, God, yeah, like they had AJ Styles beat him, um, in like on like a Saudi Arabia show. Like I, from what I understand, it was like a last minute call too. They were like, all right, let's just get the belt off gender because like this it just isn't working, and like it hasn't really helped the numbers or anything. Uh. Um, and it was one of those things where I was like, okay. Like, I was already kind of leaning that direction, but then I was really like, this is a straight-up prop. Like, this isn't this doesn't mean yes. you're the best wrestler in the world anymore. This means right. it's, a, it's a marketing tool. And I'm not, once again, this isn't like, I'm not trying to, like, come off as, like, racist or anything like that by saying these things. It's just, like, that's what happened. Like, no, they no, gave no, the guy no, the belt. No, no, no. You, you saying that is the opposite of racist. Like, being fucking calculated... Uh, because of someone's race and what we're going to do, like, that's the, that's the racist move. Like to me, what you're saying is like, yeah, you're calling it out, you know, right. which is fucking good. Um, you know, yeah, no, I, 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 I fucking agree with you so much. Yeah. This makes me so happy. <laughs> By the way, I can keep going. If you had other stuff you want to talk about, yeah, I just yeah. forgot how much fun I have. I was like, I have an hour. And then I was like, oh, my God, I have so many more theories about wrestling than I thought I did. Yeah, we'll keep going for a minute. Um, okay. uh, but, yeah, like AEW, and you mentioning the Kingston and Mox promo, which I thought was just fantastic. The, and I loved what Kingston said because it echoes kind of what you were just talking about. Kingston actually said during that promo, he's like, I'm doing this for the AEW World Championship. And he even said, like, all rest, the rest of these belts, they really don't matter that much. This is the belt that matters. Like, this yeah. championship is the one. And it's like, 
that means something like the AEW World Championship and the TNT Championship, and it's very similar to the time frame you're talking about. Very, where you had the you got the TNT title, which is basically, I mean, there's been the short reign with with Brody, and there's a possibility Darby wins it this Saturday, and it's been kind of like the workhorse title, similar to back in the day when the IC title you had guys like Sean Razor, uh, Mr. Perfect, all those kind of guys, Randy yeah. Savage. You've got, like, Tito Santana and stuff that, like, really saw it in the ring, but they never really pushed. By the way, I would throw Orange Cassidy in there as well because Orange Cassidy is such a fan favorite. That's obvious. But I didn't realize it until this conversation about belts mattering, which is that legitimized him. Where it's yeah. like, oh, we're giving you two title shots on television, where if that happened to the WWE... It would have just been like a normal match. Like, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't matter if he fucking, like, maybe if he won. But, like, I wouldn't have cared as much. So, he didn't win the belt in those two matches. Him going against Cody for the belt. And, again, my mid-90s heart, Lumberjack match. Oh, oh boy. I got so excited about that. Um, But it's, like, it's because that belt meant something. It shows that, oh, wow, Orange Cassidy, he's... He's something, and now he gets to bring that heat into his match uh, with uh, out of space. His name, Dark John Order. Silver. John, yeah, Silver. with John Silver, who he's getting some hype, and now Cassidy is like, well, he's coming off of almost winning the fucking belt, and it's like, yeah, that means something. We're almost winning the belt in the WWE doesn't mean fucking dick. Uh, yeah, totally agree. Like when when Otis had the Money in the Bank briefcase over the last like handful of months um, for the WWE. And he recently lost it to The Miz. But while he had it, I remember people being like, oh, yeah, like, this is going to be great. He's going to cash it in for the tag team titles and blah, blah, blah. And I just remember thinking, like, why would, like, I, I, if you're in the, if you're in the WWE, the chances of you just becoming a tag team champion are so, are so likely. Like, just no matter who you are, like, why would you use the briefcase for that? Like, go for the, I mean, you're never going to get a WWE title shot without this thing. Go, go for that. Like, why would you ever? belt is almost a metaphor for how they treat belts right like i know it's supposed to be a gimmick but it's like it's like that shows the disrespect (laughs) that they have for belts in general it's just like a micro it's a heightened version of it yeah yeah totally you're totally right about that just the hot potatoing and just it just doesn't matter same like that that whole angle like our truth is such a fucking talent. And like, again, talk about a belt literally meaning nothing where someone can turn it over. And I know that's the bit, but it's like, that's fine for like a month. But are you just going to do this for fucking ever? Like, are you just going to have people chasing our truth around for, and like the same three people, like if I were those same three people, <laughs> And if wrestling is supposed to be real, I would bring us all together and be like, hey, guys, the company's fucking with us. Why don't like you can have the belt on the weekends like you can have it on fucking holiday. Give it to the Lucha guys for fucking, you know, if numbers hit big in fucking Mexico. <laughs> give it to the Lucha. And like it, 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 it's such a or Lucha house party. It's such a uh, it's such a bummer where it's like our truth would be someone in me and you our dream intercontinental belt mix. You know what I mean? Like, he's that category. It's like, he's funny, he's athletic, he's talented. Like, ugh. I want it to be good so fucking bad. 
Yeah, they're in this weird quagmire of like, or like the same ground, it's like a Groundhog's Day situation where r just constantly running around with the belt and it's the same herd of people just behind him, just yeah. chasing him and it just, and, and here's the thing, like. Just give up the belt, give up the belt, right. don't fucking wrestle. Like, right. this is too much, I don't, I wouldn't want to live like that. I know, I think it's funny when you see certain wrestlers like Lashley, for instance, on like, I think it was his past Raw, maybe two Raws ago. I think it was this past Monday when he was in there. I think it was Drew Gulak and um, R-Truth wrestling for the 24-7 title. And yeah. Lashley just, like, laid out R-Truth and let Gulak beat him because, like, he doesn't want to deal with being the champion himself. So right. he's like, right. <laughs> like, why would you want to be the champion of that? I was hoping then he would fucking take out Gulag and just be like, you guys do it. like, and Or, or put R-Truth back and just be like, I don't fucking care. Uh, yeah, man. I think there's, like... There's so much fucking potential and so much talent. And when they when they hit a storyline, I mean, even the Hurt Business Retribution, how that started was beautiful. Like that could have led into a Survivor Series where you had two members of the Hurt Business, Drew McIntyre and Lee take on for the first match ever retribution. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then you have retribution, like fucking cheek, cheat and out of win or something like that. Or that's when you could start being like, Hey, SmackDown and raw has to come together. If they didn't get drafted, they have to come together and we have to fucking take out these guys that are destroying all of our shit where it's like, Oh, well now they're retribution now has to go by contract law and they can't go over to SmackDown. And it's like, and then, yeah, they just start losing. Where, and and that blue, they gave Ali a chance, but it's like, now he's just this chicken shit, not him as a person, right. who just loses and runs away. And, what a fucking bummer, man. But when you had the Hurt Business being like, hey, we're going to bad guys, but like we got to defend our brand. And then fucking Drew and Keith are like, we're good guys, but like these guys are attacking us like all right, let's team up and like that whole, you know, I can't really trust you, but I can trust you. MJF Jericho dynamic. Oh, let's talk about MJF fucking tackling Jericho. How good that was. Oh, great. Oh my God. Um, so anyway, man. Yeah. I'm like, I'm rooting for good writing. I don't, and I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just cause I don't believe that the writers are all bad. They have to be talented. Yeah. Maybe it's I, just, Yeah. I honestly think it's a room, like you just said, I think it's a room full of people that are bringing up a lot of the ideas that we talk about all the time, but it has to get filtered through a 70-something-year-old man who's just kind of out of touch with, with what people want. Right. And, and, and in AEW, it's the opposite because that guy who it's getting filtered through is a lifelong wrestling mark who can tell you statistics from matches that happened in the 80s still. Did you, you know, know he I mean? wrote fucking fan fiction? Yeah, I've heard a little bit about that. Aubrey yeah. told me that, and I fucking lost <laughs> my mind. I was like, he wrote... By the way, I'm convinced that's why he is a cool fucking billionaire, is because he's a wrestling dork. Right. Like, that's what it is. But yeah, totally. Well, and not only that, but so many of the wrestlers have creative control over... I mean, this goes to why we like Roman Reigns so much. It's like, be yourself. Like, Cody is a do-the-work person. Cody's character is a do-the-work person. The Bucks, whether they're heel or face, are bringing themselves out. Um, and then there are going to be people 
who need a push or need to try a couple different things. Like I'm a bigger fan of Darby as a wrestler than I am his character. And I say that with zero offense. Like it's just, it's not my, like the music's cool, the, but it's just like, that's not my thing, but like it's fucking working and people are loving it and it's authentically himself. That's why I don't hate it. I'm just kind of like, all right, I'm not a huge fan of like those promos is not my style, but he's also one of my favorite wrestlers. So I'm like, don't give a fuck. But apparently like, you know, John Silver used to be on the Indies and I'm not sure you probably know more than me, you know, like one of those just like kind of gym rat type, uh, gimmick wrestlers, just a tough guy or whatever. And it's like, Oh, look, look what's happening with him now when he's trying this other side of him, like, you know, uh, you got to fuck around and it's good to have some writers on deck. And it sounds like AEW, they have a room, maybe not of staff writers, but maybe with the combination of, you know, Arn and Dean and, uh, fucking yeah. Then Cody. And the, like, there's enough creative people around there that they can shape things. Uh, but letting the wrestlers be the rep. I mean, when I went to my first indie show, and I heard that there's a wrestler named Luchasaurus. And it's like, yeah, he's half Lucha, half dinosaur. I was like, yes. A fucking yes. Of course. And then even watching him on Being the Elite, where it's like when he was like kind of like trying to be like like uh like an intellectual. Yeah. It was so funny. And, and but that you can tell, like he's speaking from knowledge that he had. Like that's him. Uh, and that's what's so great that it's like, ah, oh, when even like a lucha dinosaur can be authentic, like the WWE can learn from that. Yeah, dude, it's funny you bring up uh, all those guys because like, so John Silver on the Indies, him and Alex Reynolds were a tag team called the Beaver Boys. That was their uh, their right. name, and he did some. You can actually find. I think Beyond Wrestling actually recently uploaded this stuff to their YouTube channel, so y'all can actually go watch this stuff if you want to before um full gear. But there's a really good match between John Silver and Orange Cassidy. A lot of comedy stuff. And they're going to have that match again at full gear. But um, the two guys are familiar oh, with each cool. other. And, yeah, and it's and it's going to be, like, I, I'm really I'm really looking forward to that. There's There's been a lot of people in AEW, um, even in the Dark Order. Like, you mentioned John Silver, his partner Alex Reynolds. I remember years ago, uh, Brian Myers, uh, a.k.a. Kurt Hawkins, he used to talk about it in interviews. This was probably five, six years ago. I remember watching an interview of his, him talking about those guys and being like, like, I don't know how Alex Reynolds isn't signed to a major company yet and blah, blah, yeah. blah. And this is like six years ago, you know, it's like, yeah. and now all these guys are finally getting opportunities on AEW. Oh, it's so cool, man. Evil Uno, I think is my favorite. Like the <laughs> angle of him being like, still like a sweetheart while dressing like a fucking dominatrix is... <laughs> One of my absolute favorite things. Um, yeah, man, I I think like with all artistry, it's like the best comedians. Patrice was so great because he was Patrice, right? If Patrice at the time, you know, when he was coming up, tried to do what all the kind of famous black comics were doing, you know, it was the Def Jam scene where people would just repeat punchlines a lot, you know, like, uh, and try to be that high energy. It would have been terrible. You know, it's the reason that the biggest comics in the world, they're so different. It's like Chappelle, just look at Chappelle, John Mulaney and like Rogan, but they're all Bert, you know, people, yeah, Bill Burr, they, yeah. Like, yeah. Like all those guys, they're just them fucking self. 
period. You know, Bert, Bert Kreischer laughs at his own jokes because that's who Bert is. And it's so wonderful and endearing uh, because it's like he loves comedy. He'll laugh at other people's jokes just as hard. Yeah, Burr. Like, it's like I used to see Burr bomb with shit like that. You know, like my first audition for a club, I had to not only follow Burr, but follow Burr getting a donut thrown at him after he berated a bunch of office workers who heckled him. Uh, And he was like, I I still remember being backstage so nervous. And I'm like, what is happening? I can't believe that. Because I was already nervous having to follow Burr. And he was like, oh, you're just all, you're just mad because the one highlight of your day is when your boss dangles the idea of health insurance over your cubicle and you just try to swipe at it. Like, dude, it was just it was so perfect. So good. It was so good. It was so good. Um, but they're authentically themselves. Right. And I bet you if we looked at all of the wrestlers who in the past who I mean, they talk about this in improv where. And this is good for the the. I actually taught it uh, like an improv seminar at the Monster Factory, and I told them this where. Okay, so if me and you are in an improv scene, whether I'm a doctor, whether I'm a fucking astronaut, whether I'm a professional wrestler, whether I'm a babyface, whether I'm a heel, how can I add my personal life into that character? So I'm a doctor, so I should start using doctor lingo. But I'm still me. So what can I add? So like lots of scenes. I had fucking dad issues like because like <laughs> that. That's like who I am. Genuinely. Cassidy throwing a ton of interviews about him. But for all we know, it's maybe he's really shy. And maybe that character came from that. Maybe he is really just fucking chill and that cool. Doesn't give a shit. And that character came from that. You know, with Roman. Uh, you know, we saw in the cancer speech, that was all him, but the heel part of him still has to be authentic. You know, I bet you money. There is still a part of him that has felt responsibility for taking care of his family. And so, okay, that's what he draws from that. Like, I remember her name droppy, but I was poor and working at a bookstore. It's the only reason I met her, but I met Renee Zellweger at the height of her fame, like cold mountain, uh, Jerry Maguire, the, uh, she, she just finished the Russell Crowe boxing Cinderella man. Um, yep. and she was giving me acting advice. Literally. I never bothered celebrities, but I had a really shitty manager at the time. And I had my first audition and I call him from the main information desk at borders and Columbus circle. And I go, do you have any advice? And he goes, no, I don't know, man. Just ask one of your actor friends. And I'm like, I don't have any actor friends. He's like, I gotta go. And he hung up and I literally look up and Renee Zellweger is standing in line and she was looking for, I still remember that book about Winston Churchill and Roosevelt. I think it was just called Franklin and Winston. And I go, yeah, I can walk you to the section. And I go, Hey, I would never do this. Um, but, and I told her the story, I'm like my shitty manager. And then you're there. And we talked for like an hour about acting and uh, she came back the next day to ask how my audition went. Like I hated when she got a tabloid shit. She was like the sweetest fucking human in the world. And what she said was no matter what you're playing, no matter what generation it is, no matter what, you know, whatever you are going, not how can I act like that person, but you're going, how can I bring myself to that character? What about me resonates with that? And I, I'm telling you, man, the best fucking wrestlers, our favorite wrestlers, it's like, it's them. 
You know, it's why Daniel Bryan, it, it, oh, especially all the wrestlers that broke stereotype of the big hulky guys, you yeah. know, that broke through CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, uh, all those people. It's like, that was them. They were bringing them, you know, uh, I forget if I've talked so much and I promise when I do the show more in case your fans hate me that it'll be back and forth right now. <laughs> no, again, no, this is great. I have no opportunities Two people like my wrestling tweets. This is all I have. But like um, the. So, yeah, I, did this make the episode? Because I won't repeat, repeat it. But go for, I tell either you, way. At, go for it either way. At Santino Brothers, when I was training with Kendrick and those guys, um, the first time we did promos, I fucking murdered the class. I was so excited. I was finally like, I'm going to be a pro wrestler. This is going to happen. And my character was the character that Daniel Bryan did like a month later. And he did it so well and perfectly that I couldn't even be jealous. I couldn't even be upset. But and this was like the uh, like the, the, the vegan kind of yeah. belt, whatever. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up is because even though I was doing that as a heel, he was doing it as a heel. It's us. Daniel Bryan is a vegan. We have, we know the stereotypes about, I mean, he was literally listing real facts in a douchebaggy way, you know, but he was drawing from that knowledge that he already has and turning it into a character. And that's why, even though he was a heel, even though Roman is a heel, People just loved it. It was to die for. People loved it so much. Yeah, I think that's there was a one of the biggest missed opportunities I think the WWE's had in like the last decade or so. And you probably you might have been out. You might have been just about to come back in around this time. But CM Punk had a, a stable called the Straight Edge Society for a minute. I I heard about that because when I quit drinking, I was such a dork that I tried to YouTube like any CM Punk inspirational speech. I was trying to look for people to like look up to. And so I saw somehow that came up in my like Google, but keep going, keep going. Cause I want to hear more about it. Basically it's the idea that you just said, it's like this guy was going out there and just like saying facts about like alcoholism and, 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 you know, all this stuff that's like totally yeah. true. Um, but he did it in such a douchey way that you would boo him. And of course he's doing it in front of a crowd where most of the people are holding the beer and like, no, fuck yep. this guy, you know, like, like yep. judging me, you know, I was going punk- back and forth. Yeah. I was going back and forth between like that kind of thing and the Daniel Bryan thing. Uh, my new idea to kind of tap into that part of me, I was texting with Jimmy Jacobs about it because Jimmy and I get a lot of the same, like when he came on my podcast, we talked a lot about like motivational stuff. And I was like, he had, so oh, I wonder if I could share this. He had the, best you could tell he's still a fucking writer um so i go dude we should be a heel tag team called the self-help boys <laughs> okay and, and i still want to do this and i'm like we could like diagnose like uh certain audience members and shit like that and he uh he had such a good <laughs> he had such a fucking funny dorky uh i mean we were just like joking around but he goes uh Oh, where is it? Damn it. All right. I'm not gonna be able to find it. Oh, wait, no. Because after we're done with you, you're going to have a whole new set of traumas to work through. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's perfect. So, okay. He texted me that back in like two seconds because we had lunch 
and we were just talking about all this motivational stuff. And then I'm driving back, and I was like, the self-help boys. And I immediately, and he just hit me with that line right away. And I was like, you're still a master, man. You still got it. Oh, that'd be so, that's hilarious. I, I want to oh. do it. I mean, if I train enough, I know he's going to throw me a bone. And we're either going to fucking scrap or uh, or do something like that. Yeah, one of the uh, one of the most unique minds in wrestling, Jimmy Jacobs. He he, I remember it's kind of gruesome to go back and watch now, but what put him on the map for me was back when he was doing Ring of Honor. Um, he's actually the one who like introduced at the time he was known as Tyler Black, but Seth Rollins when he came into Ring of Honor, it was as a as a part of Jimmy Jacobs' group called Age of the Fall. And there was so, like, the storyline and stuff was so good. And I was like, wow, who's, like, responsible for this? And it turns out, like, Jimmy Jacobs, like, came up with, like, most of the stuff. And you're like, oh, wow. And then you find out that he was behind the whole Kevin Owens and Chris Jericho story in WWE, which was, like, revitalized Jericho and and all this stuff. But, But this is probably a good transition. So, like, you were talking about, like, developing your wrestling character and getting to know these wrestlers and stuff. You've been doing training with Thunder Rosa. You've been getting more involved. Like, I need to know about that definitely before we end this podcast. The update. How's the training been going? How people been treating you? All that stuff. Yeah. So, um, okay, let me think. So, I haven't really talked about this. So, Thunder Rosa, I mean, what a fucking saint, right? Just, like, everybody I've talked to has the same things to say about her. From, like, fucking Josh Barnett to, like, just totally opposite ends of spectrum you bring up thunder rosa and people just love her um especially now what she's trying to do with uh her indie organization for women which actually let me plug that because i feel like they have something coming uh that she was plugging uh and you know she's never given fucking like private training before but we just vibed so hard on so many levels um that i trained with her uh, Mission Pro Wrestling. Nice. Shout out uh, Mission Pro Wrestling. Yeah, and it's all female, like, sick wrestlers, like, just awesome. Well, um, and honestly, like, Thunder Rosa, like, I'm not just saying this, like, she's legitimately one of the best female wrestlers in the entire world. One of the best wrestlers in the world, male or female, to be fair. Yes. Like, she's very, 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 that's the, that's the kind of person you want to be training with and the kind of person you want to be wrestling for and stuff. And can I also from. tell you, zero ego. Where there was part of me where I sort of held back uh, my jujitsu and my kickboxing because I'm like, I'm here to learn basics, you know, all that stuff. Um, but the, the anytime I would like pitch her an idea, she would be like, yes, like, let's make that work. Or like, oh, I haven't seen that before. Or she'd ask me jujitsu questions for her to either incorporate into her jujitsu or into her wrestling. And like, that's another thing when we talk about if there are indie guys listening uh, or comics or podcasters or whatever, um, authenticity, yes, but also the best people in the world are the ones that don't have an ego. I mean, some of the best jujitsu shit I've learned back in the day were from like blue belts, you know, like I trained with Marcelo Garcia. He's the best in the world, but like, there were certain lessons I learned from like a purple belt here, a brown belt there or whatever. Um, and just not being like, oh, I'm above it. I train with Marcelo Garcia or I'm Thunder Rosa. And, you know, she's so educated because when she was teaching me, she'd be like, OK, this is the way they do it in Japan. And then she'd be like, this is the lucha way to do it. And I would just 
mark out so hard where I'm like, I'm learning how they do it in Japan. You know what I mean? Like I was suddenly like a fucking like new Japan, whatever. And, um, so I was incredible. And then, uh, I would train with her during the day and then she would bring me at night, uh, shout out to, uh, the dog pound. They would, uh, it was jazz from the WWE and Rodney. Oh, uh, nice. Yeah. They're husband and wife. Yes. And they run the classes there. And, it was the most incredible vibe of all time. If anyone is in Texas and wants to train wrestling with good people who they would talk about story, they would be kind, but they would fucking push us. Um, I was new and they weren't like you sit out and fucking just, they were like, you do what you fucking can. And we're going to like, believe in you to do it. And I did shit. I never thought I would do. And by day four, they were having me do heat spots. And so if anyone doesn't know, like taking heat is when you're just getting the shit beat out of you. And the first one I did was with Thunder Rosa and she beat the shit out of me. Um, if anyone hasn't seen, we did a comedy sketch, uh, on my Instagram at the Jamie Kilstein that blew up where it was, uh, teaching realistic jujitsu for professional wrestling. And it's just me getting murdered. Spoiler alert. That's the joke. Uh, Thunder Rosa beats the shit out of me. She slapped me so hard that I was like, I can't break because I can't take that again. Uh, and everybody was like, man, you sell well for like a non-wrestler. And part of me was like, yes. And then another part of me is like, oh, cause she slapped the shit out of me. Well, that actually uh, hurt. That was me hurting. <laughs> hard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. To sell. And, uh, and so, and that was, I think really cool for her. We have another video I'm going to drop too. That's going to get more shit. Uh, cause she wanted me to do one about women wrestlers, not getting paid as much on the Indies. So I wrote something that's like ridiculous okay. and, um, and the, but so I would work. So yeah, so I would take heat and Rodney and jazz to their fucking credit saw that I like, I had ideas like jujitsu stuff. But I, I didn't want to do it because I don't know the wrestling version of it. And Rodney just goes, do some jujitsu. And I was like, all right. And then they let me, like, do the jujitsu stuff. And, like, man, hearing those people who could have been, like, who the fuck is this guy? Oh, he's a fucking comedian. Oh, he's friends with Thunder Rosa. Oh, look, he does jujitsu. Started, like, fucking hitting the ring and started cheering because, like, it was just shit they didn't know, you know? Um Someone came up to me and was like, can you teach me some of the jiu-jitsu? And I'm like, fuck, yes. And, like, it was such a community. And, like, bro, like, <laughs> I used to be a pretty hardcore atheist. And they, like, end the night with a prayer. And I was like, yup. And, like, I was just holding hands with fucking wrestler dudes. And I was, like, mumbling the, like, heaven, thou art, whatever. And, like, but, it, again, everything was so authentic that I'm like, yeah, I'm going to say his fucking prayer because he is sincerely praying for the team right now and like i'm gonna listen to jazz because like jazz is cool as fuck and has like seen it all and like thunder rosa like it was just i went there being like i wonder if i want to wrestle when i get back to tucson and i spent four days there and i signed a lease in texas and i'm moving december 15th (laughs) oh you hadn't told me that yet so you're moving to texas officially Awesome, yep. man. Everyone's making those moves out of California right now. That's so fun. That's the well, best- and, well, I know you're Arizona technically, but... No, 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 no. But, like, I'm moving to Austin, and everyone's like, oh, smart, man. You're following Rogan for comedy? And I'm like, 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually gonna be driving an hour and a half every day to San Antonio to train with Thunder Rosa to be a pro wrestler. But uh yeah, probably good that I'm around what will be the new comedy scene. Um, but I'm totally moving for wrestling. And you know, to circle back to kind of how we started this interview, which may be an appropriate way because I gotta go kickbox, is um the is exactly what I said before, which is if I never wrestle, I mean if I decide I'm gonna wrestle. I can't talk like that ever again. Um, and I will say when I wrestle, but you know, this move is a lot and comedy's down there and music's down there and podcasting is now the Mecca down there. Um, if I never wrestle, I will still drive an hour and a half every day there, an hour and a half there, an hour and a half back to San Antonio because being around people like that, creative people, healthy people and people who will fucking clap for a strange comedian who's like nervous to take a certain bump. Like that's just who you should be around. And, you know, for people listening, even if you're not training wrestling, it's like if you're around people who are constantly making you feel shitty for liking wrestling, it's because they're insecure and fuck those people. If you're around people who, if you say you want to wrestle or you want to start a podcast and they're like, ah, oh no, man, everybody, that's them. They're projecting. They're projecting their shit onto you. And like, you have to surround yourself with people who inspire you to be the weirdest, most authentic version of yourself. Because as we've talked about, authenticity, whether you want to be a wrestler or just a fucking human, it's the only way to live. Period, period, period. I couldn't agree more, man. Like, I can't tell you how much is better I feel as just a person ever since starting my podcast, pretty much switching all my wardrobe out for like wrestling t-shirts and stuff. Just like, just being, just being that all the yeah. time. Cause it's like, if I'm, I can't tell you how many friends I've made by just walking around with like a Stone Cold Steve Austin shirt. And they're like, dude, Stone Cold. Like I used to like, you, used to, you watch the wrestling and like every now and then they're like, dude, you'll just find out like, Oh yeah, man. I watch every week still. And it's like, oh, so do oh. I. And it's like, we just made a friend because I wore a fucking t-shirt. Dude, homeboy at Whole Foods, uh, stocking the fucking vegan hot dogs that I was about to cop, uh, saw my orange <laughs> Cassidy shirt and was just like, fuck yeah, orange Cassidy, man. I, uh, I'm waiting for my album to be released for us to do it. But I did, uh, an insane video. I think one of the funniest things that I'm a part of with, you know, master Ken, the stomp, the groin guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. So he has a massive following, like hundreds of thousands of people. And because of that, uh, during the video, I wore my Young Bucks shirt. And I'm like, I cannot fucking wait for all the wrestling nerds who had no idea, who are just watching a Master Ken video, to be like, fucking Young Bucks. And I'm like, it's how you attract your tribe. You know, if we are, this is, I, I've never actually thought of it this way. If we are constantly ashamed of the things we love, we're essentially cock blocking people like us to find us. So when I say uh, I'm tweeting for three people, you know, my old pin tweet used to be me. I'm Rogan because I was like, oh, this will get, you know, industry to respect me. And like it did, it got a ton of famous people to follow me, I'm sure. And to be on my podcast. But I'm like, eh, I don't care. And so now my pin tweet is that Shawn Michaels super kick joke I made. And I'm like, <laughs> most people will not get it. But man, the people who do. Yes. They're my people. All done. I win. 
Exactly. I've heard we talked about Sam a little bit. I know you. Gotta, I know you gotta get out of here. So I'm so late. late. <laughs> oh, are you already running late? But I'm having so much fun. Uh, well, we'll save some of this for later then. Um, Jamie, wh- before you get out of here, what what's next wrestling wise for you? Are you gonna be training again with Thunder Rosa now that you're gonna be moving, or yes. are you gonna be so, still coming to Atlanta to DDP and all that stuff? Yeah. Or? No. I'm, so I I I I put off uh the DDP training till January. I was actually just texting with him this morning, just because I gotta save up for this Austin move. I mean, I'm literally 38, saving all of my money. Like I, I just wrote to myself because moving's fucking expensive by yourself, and uh, that I'm like, I, I mean, this is super cheesy, but I'll just share it. Where like I wrote down like that I'm like, even I'm not going out for meals because I'm like I'm saving up to be a professional wrestler. Period. And so that's why I'm moving to Texas. Um, so I'll be moving in December. Right now, I'm gonna actually try to double up on kickboxing because uh, I want to get there and be like fucking in shape. And I'm starting to think about character stuff. I'm starting to map out uh, questions I can ask about how I can incorporate the stuff I'm really good at jujitsu and kickboxing um, and do it in a different way. Um, And so that's every time I'm working out and I'm kickboxing, I'm hitting the punching bag. I'm thinking, how can I make this work for wrestling? So that's where my my brain is already. Um, Talking to you has actually been really exciting because. While there's part of me that when I'm on Twitter, I kind of feel like a dork and I'm like, oh, I don't fit in. I don't know the cool, like smart mark things to say about raw and shit like that. Talking (laughs) to you, I was going to tell you this off the air, but again, vulnerability, right? I'm like, oh, I actually know a lot about storytelling. So even if I don't know about the past, I can like ask and I'm open to being wrong. Cause again, I just want what's good. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to ask you questions about the brand split. And then every time you were like, yeah, dude. I was like, okay, good. I'm right about that. Um, so what I want to do is there are so many great indie organizations down there that I want to keep making these wrestling sketches, but I also want to use some of the wrestlers just to be in comedy sketches um, that aren't. And then I want to start asking to write um, for these little. In- oh, I feel like even if I'm going to write, even if I'm going to do commentary, I will be so much better and probably more respected if I'm in there taking bumps every day anyway, um, even if I don't wrestle. Uh, but, you know, I also fucking texted Josh Barnett and was like, I'm going to be in fucking blood sport, if not next year, the year after. So fucking I don't know, man, um, but I'm definitely I'm going to be training as much as possible, getting myself into shape and wrestling is going to be kind of my North Star because I think it's going to make everything else I do better. Because, I mean, everything we talked about, confidence, creativity, but if you're happy, you attract good shit, you know? And so just being around a sport that makes me so happy, um, it's just going to make my life better. So, like, why the fuck wouldn't you do it? Yes, I totally agree. And for anyone listening, hey, a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world right now. We managed to do an hour and a half without talking any politics during the election. So hopefully... yeah, baby! uh, so hopefully um, this was a good distraction from all that stuff. Jamie, my, my political rule on Twitter today is I'm only retweeting political memes about uh, if they're wrestling ones. So there are all these great wrestling ones about like uh, mail-in ballots to Trump and it's all these like great heel turns and shit like that. <laughs> uh, and I'm doing that. That's like my compromise to myself. There you go. Um, 
before before we get out of here, Jamie, before when we did our last show, you were just about to record your comedy special. Make sure everyone knows like where where to check that out, where it's going to be available, yeah, no, all I'll that stuff. Back on the show before then, but we have an official release date, uh, which is December fourth. So December fourth, it'll be out on all platforms, Spotify, everything. Uh, it's called Twenty Five Percent Capacity. Um, it was done, I think illegally at like some warehouse in Denver. Um, and I talk all about like COVID loneliness, fucking porn addiction. Like it's my most personal album I've ever done. And I think it's, it's easily the funniest. Um, so that's December 4th. And then if you want to follow me on Instagram, uh, that's where I do the comedy videos. You can see the one with Thunder Rosa. You can also see clips of my podcast with like Aubrey and DDP, like we talked about. That's at the Jamie Kilstein. I think the new Thunder Rosa one I'm going to drop next week. And then because it did so well, I'm like once the COVID shit chills out a bit, I'm like I've talked to so many AEW wrestlers about wanting to do videos with me. Um, after the Thunder Rosa one. So I really want to make that a staple um, and something I do. I think before I leave Arizona, I want to do one with Jimmy Jacobs, like a satire about like how to be a WWE writer or something like that. I think could be, he'd fucking be great in. Um, And that's it, man. I mean, I don't want to wrestle until I can really fucking hold my own or I have like a really fucking good character idea, but I'm sure... Let's say by next summer, I'll at least be doing indie stuff down in Texas or here, maybe even like L.A. That's like that's what I'm going to that's my goal. Um, And then my like super goal, if I'm putting it out there and you guys can be like, oh, fuck, he did it is is blood sport to be the first like big event I do. Because I was like, I love the way Barnett when Barnett did my podcast, he was like. More wrestlers need to make it a fucking fight. It's a fight. Doesn't mean be a dick, but it's a fight, you know? Um, And I'm like, oh, I, that I can do. I can fucking do that. Uh, So now we have to see. Uh, And yeah, that's, uh, that's it. Oh, my podcast is called uh, a fuck ups guide to self help. Um, you can go to jamiekilsteinpodcast.com if that's easier, but it's a fuck ups guide to self help. Um, I have the next two guests are a very famous porn star with like 3 million uh, followers, Nicole Aniston and then Joe Coy. So it's a very weird podcast. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a very diverse crowd there. I like that's it. How I, that's how I do. And then uh, if there are jujitsu MMA fans, uh, my fight podcast, which is actually the one Barnett did, uh, is called Rear Naked Radio. You can also get to that at jamiekilsteinpodcast.com. I have merch now, all that. Uh, the YouTube channel, you can see the jujitsu videos and the wrestling, youtube.com slash Jamie Hillstein. I really want to, I should probably start making that more active. I'm going to start posting more stand up too. And if you're in Phoenix, the last week of Phoenix, I'm at the house of comedy, uh, Thanksgiving week, just not on Thanksgiving, but that Wednesday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And that's it. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on the show again, Jamie. I, I appreciate it, man. Fuck yeah, dude. You're the goddamn best. I'll send you my sappy. Thank you. Uh, afterwards right now. I don't want to do burpees and be too late. All right, everyone, and as you just heard, Jamie had to get out of there, and for good reason. We went about a half hour longer than we were expecting to, and I appreciate his time. He'll be hearing more from Jamie in the very near future, I can guarantee you that. And thanks again for Jamie coming on to the show. So, that all being said, going to talk a little bit about my sponsors, and we'll get on out of here. Starting with WrestleRumble.com. Right now, WrestleRumble.com is the place to be, as always, for fantasy pick and contests for professional wrestling. 
in the best, I mean, I don't even know how to put into words how incredible these raffles have been. So this, uh, this month, what they're doing right after Survivor Series, they're giving away four replica championship belts. It's going to be $1 entries. That's it. You can go on their website right now, WrestleRumble.com. For $1, you can win an original ECW World Championship, an AEW World Championship, the original NXT World Championship, or the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. All four are on the line. Hypothetically speaking, for $4 total, you could win all four of those belts. And each one of those is worth like 400 bucks, like a piece. I mean, it's just insane. The awesome prizes they're doing over there at WrestleRumble.com. And from what I'm hearing, it sounds like they're going to be doing a pick'em contest as well. So I think we're going to be getting a Survivor Series pick'em contest, which will include, of course, you know, picking winners and losers for matches and various stipulations and stuff that can happen throughout the night. But yeah, check that out. WrestleRumble.com. Always a lot of incredible prizes, usually a lot of cash over there up for grabs as well. Stay up to date with other contests on Twitter at WrestleRumble. Also, shout out to Music City Toys and Collectibles. They are really nice people. They'll do fair business with you. They can be found on all social media. Just search Music City Toys and Collectibles. I mean, I, I can't say enough good things about them, whether it's autographs, DVDs, old magazines, just any kind of wrestling memorabilia you can think of. I get a lot of my Just Toys Bendem WWF figures from them. I'm still collecting those. And a lot of the time, whether even if it's not just that particular, you know, type of, of figure, I mean, there's so many things that they sell over there at uh, Music City Toys and Collectibles. But um, just to give you an example, there's a lot of times I'll go on eBay and I'll be looking for something and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want to spend that. And, you know, I'll just get on Facebook and go to Music City Toys and Collectibles page and boom, they're a lot of the time they're just destroying the prices of what I'm seeing elsewhere and they ship everything out really fast. They do claim sales, basically live auctions as well. And it's just super easy to do. They invoice you stuff over PayPal. You pay it. They ship it right out. It's super easy to use. And the people, like I keep I keep stressing it, they're really nice. And you will get fair prices on everything. So check them out, Music City Toys and Collectibles. And also, shout out to my brother, Brian Jensen. Brian is a professional boxing coach. He works with Parkinson's Foundations. He owns a gym here in Atlanta, Georgia. He can help you reach your goals, whether it's looking to lose weight, get in better shape, if you want to box at an amateur or professional level, if you want to know some self-defense, uh, whatever it is, Brian can help you with that. He's certified in a whole bunch of different styles. Uh, he helps MMA fighters. He even helps Parkinson's patients uh, because he's completely certified in all that stuff as well. If you're having any kind of muscular issues, neurological issues, that kind of stuff. He's an expert in those fields. So he can help you in a wide variety of ways. Check him out on Instagram. That's the best way to get in contact with him. His handle is BoxingATL. That's at B-O-X-I-N-G-A-T-L. If you're in the Atlanta, Georgia area or anywhere nearby, you can meet him at his gym. He can meet you at your business, at your house, in a park, whatever's easiest for you. And if you're not anywhere close, he'll do stuff with you remotely. He can help you over Zoom calls and that kind of stuff too. So get a knockout workout without getting knocked out. Hit up Brian Jensen. Once again, Instagram at BoxingATL. And just like the rest of our sponsors, if you tell them that me and Jesse sent you their way, I promise you, you get a really, really good deal. So thanks to all the sponsors of the show. And thank you all very much for listening. You can find me on Twitter at FightTalk underscore. That's F-I-G-H-T. 
T-A-L-K underscore. I have a weekly MMA show coming out on this feed now with myself and John Mosley talking the latest, mainly UFC news, but a little bit of everything depending on what's going on. So you can look forward to that every Monday here on this feed. I have more videos coming out for all things MMA on their YouTube channel, so check them out. As always, I'm doing the Fightful Select Weekender still. It's over there at Fightful.com. Every Sunday, I talk about independent wrestling and a whole bunch of other stuff that has to do with wrestling, give my opinions on a lot of stuff and, and future you know talent and stuff like that. So check that out. That's available at FightfulSelect.com. It's called The Weekender Podcast. And yeah, I, I, all the other stuff, I'll just keep updated on my Twitter. Once again, that's fight talk underscore F-I-G-H-T-T-A-L-K underscore. And, and always make sure to check out the uh, live chats I do with Jesse Davin. We do those at least once a week. And Jamie should be coming on soon uh, for some of those. So that's YouTube. Just search Jesse Davin, J-E-S-S-I-D-A-V-I-N. So that'll do it for this episode of the Fight Talk Podcast. Thank you all very much for listening, and I'll be back soon.